0: Hi, you're listening to the International Risk Podcast. This podcast is for CEOs, board members, risk and compliance officers, security advisors, and anyone interested in improving operations. On this podcast, we hear from the traditional to the wacky, from renowned corporate risk experts to former spies and special forces soldiers. There is something to learn about the way we perceive, manage and mitigate risk from all of our guests. Your host, Dominic Bowen, will ask the questions that you will want the answers to. If you know Dominic, then you know that he is well acquainted with risk. Dominic has successfully established operations in most of the major war zones and disaster-affected countries over the last 20 years. He is no stranger to risk and uncertainty, and joined by our excellent guests, he'll reveal innovative ideas on how you can ensure your organisation thrives in areas with high risk.
1: Good morning, I'm Dominic Bowen and the host of the International WISP Podcast. Today, we're joined by Saeed Wajid. Saeed is a humanitarian with over 30 years experience working with emergency response and release activities to support people affected by natural and man-made disasters in Pakistan. He's worked with the UN Food and Agricultural Organization, the UN Development Programme, UN Women, UNIFEM and several other organizations across Pakistan. Welcome to the podcast today, Saed. Thank you. Thank you. said I understand uh, it's very busy in Pakistan right now and there's certainly a lot going on and I appreciate you joining the podcast from Peshawar today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Say, I'd love to unpack for you at the start. I understand your commitment to humanitarian relief has its roots actually back to your student days. Your experience with natural disasters uh, is also related to the work you've been doing with logistics and supply chains. I'd love to hear from you about what first motivated you to become involved in humanitarian assistance. As the Chinese say, may you live in interesting time. So when I was a
2: student, that is when the Russian invaded Afghanistan. And that was a time when the famine in Ethiopia started. So, you know, my first involvement was, was raising funds for Ethiopia and then working with Afghan refugees, because majority of the Afghan refugees came to this city. The reason being that we speak the same language, it's the same culture. So they were more, or rather they are still, they are more comfortable in this province and in this city as compared to other cities of Pakistan. One of the things is there is no language barrier between the Afghan refugees and people of this province, and then culturally the same. So I don't know, maybe it was in my blood. Maybe it was uh, the times and uh, maybe it was because historically I come from a family that got displaced a number of times. So probably I couldn't, you know, it was something very close to my heart.
1: Well, that's that's very interesting. And uh, and pursuing a career that's close to your heart is uh, often a good idea. Now, Sayed, in May this year, weeks before the heaviest downpours hit Pakistan, the chairman of the National Disaster Management Authority, uh, General Nawaz, Addressed, actually, he was in Bali and he addressed the seventh session of the Global Platform for Disaster Risk Reduction. And during his speech, he actually said that uh, Pakistan had filled the gaps in its capacity since the Kashmir earthquake in 2005 and the devastating floods that have uh, impacted Pakistan several times since then, sadly. He said that Pakistan had made significant progress. And that frameworks, policies, plans, guidelines, risk assessments, warehouses had been stocked and plans revised um, in order to make sure that Pakistan was prepared for for disaster. And he specifically mentioned that lessons had been learned from, from earlier disasters like the Pakistan earthquake. And that was actually one of the first missions I did uh, responding to the Pakistan earthquake back in 2005. And that was amazing, providing humanitarian and medical assistance along the line of control back then. Uh, So it's great to hear that the National Disaster Management Agency in Pakistan has been learning lessons. But there's been some criticism, and that's always going to be the case uh, for every country that responds to a disaster. But there has been complaints made that when the rains did begin in June, it seemed that Pakistan was not prepared. What have you seen and what's your opinion about the risk mitigation and response to this disaster? We do listen learn
2: exercises. But after that, the national disaster, the provincial disaster management authorities going to hibernation and not much has been done. Secondly, people like, you know, if if I talk of the Provincial uh, Disaster Management Authority, it is being headed by bureaucrats who keep on changing. Then again, we don't have mitigation measures. In theory, yes, but in practice, I would say, where are the warehouses? If there were warehouses and if the warehouse had had tents, why are people sleeping behind beneath beds why are people sleeping out in the open where are the boats we don't have any boats yes if we are to deal with floods then again uh, i did a study with uh, a few people and that was how can we use the boat people all we wanted was that you know if these people who are living on river indus for thousands of years and they live in boats if they are trained as first responders. Yes, the idea was very good, everybody liked it, but then nothing happened. So yes, we make very good speeches, but what is the reality? Where are those stocks in, in one of the responses, what we did was that, you know, we constructed these uh, woman and child-friendly spaces. And, and I ensured that, you know, these buildings, the, the structures were such that, you know, you could dismantle them and you could put them in a container and store them. Where are those structures? So again, I've been saying that we we have very good boys and girls, men and women, who have responded to emergency. I've been banging my head with all these people to make a roster of those men and women because they're already trained. So if something happens, they will be the first responders. Bring them on board. The roster has not been made. So it's basically people who are making these decisions are the ones who are least affected, or they are not affected by the crisis or these floods and earthquakes, etc.
1: I think that's I think that's often the case, isn't it, Saeed? But uh, we've now seen that more than thirteen thousand kilometers of road have been destroyed in Pakistan. More than two million houses affected. Nearly 2,000 people have been killed as a result of the thuds. And with one third of Pakistan still underwater, not surprisingly, but very sadly, waterborne disease are now making the situation even worse in Pakistan. Can you explain for our listeners the important role that logistics and supply chains play in disaster response and disaster mitigation?
2: Without supply chain, a robust supply chain, without roads, how can you take assistance to these people. They are cut off. Again, this is dengue season and you know dengue is a killer. Then we don't have water filtration. People are drinking that dirty water and we are curing diarrhea. We are not preventing it. And especially if people are malnourished and they get diarrhea and they don't get even medical assistance. So it's it's basically those people are stuck there And when there are no roads, when the supply chain is totally disrupted, even the train, the railway line is underwater, it is destroyed. How can we reach to these people? How can we feed them? How can we... It's a very big disaster.
1: No, it, it certainly is, Said. And, and we know that the the, the floods has, has impacted so many people. And whilst the damage, the physical damage caused by the flooding is immense and runs into the uh, billions of dollars in reconstruction costs, it's often that second wave disaster after the floods that causes more pain. And, you know, that's with cholera and waterborne diseases. And it's that public health disaster that so often comes after many of these other disasters like earthquakes and floods. And with eight. Million people displaced by flooding. Seven million children requiring immediate access to nutrition services. Four million children lacking access to health services, and you know, nearly six million people no longer having access to drinking water. The situation is uh, extremely concerning. But you know, these are these are big numbers. These are very big and, and, and lofty numbers. Can you explain for our listeners the impact of the floods on actual individual people?
2: There are really multidimensional effects on people. In the rural areas, people, majority of people in the villages, they are landless tenants. They live in mud houses and the work for, as they are called, landlords or landowners because it's a very feudalistic system. Mud houses need a bit of water to crumble down. So what has happened is that majority of the mud houses where these landless tenants live, they are totally destroyed. In one of the previous uh, floods, a village got destroyed, and this lady who was a widow, her husband died before the floods. Their house also got destroyed, and when she wanted to go back to that village, the landowner did not want her. Because, you know, the landowner wants able families with able men and her children were small. And then for her, it was displacement because there was no other place to go. You know, because they, they get majority of these people, they get, when they work, they get grains in kind for working there. And then they store that and they eat that for the rest of the year, that was gone. So, so it's, it's the vulnerable community and majority of the people are below poverty line. So this disparity is a bigger bigger killer. And she is not the only one. There are people where the families are headed by aged people. There are families where the husbands have died or the husbands are addicted. This is just one example of so many examples.
1: And so you've been responding to disasters, both man-made and natural disasters in Pakistan for over three decades. Can you explain how the risks and the reality of this flood is different from previous disasters in Pakistan.
2: Last time, when the floods came, the water receded very quickly. This time, the water is standing there. Last time, the magnitude was not that big. This time, the roads are destroyed. Last time, roads were damaged. So there's a difference between a damaged road and a destroyed road. On a damaged road, we could drive a bit slow, but still we could drive. But when the roads are swept away, that is the biggest problem. Now the winters are coming and water, they say it will take around two months for the water to recede. So people are actually living in, uh, how would we say, in water, they're living in lakes. Then again, we have so many issues. We have the mosquitoes, then we have dengue, then, uh, you know, there are, if we go to southern Punjab and northern Sin, they have the two most dangerous snakes, the cobra and the viper, I think it's called the viper. And uh, so if someone gets stung by a snake near, how are we going to, do we have those vaccines or antidotes, whatever it is called? And how could that be delivered? It's, it's, it really is, you know, if, if you are in that water with all those snakes, with all those mosquitoes and not only malaria, but with dengue.
1: It's unquestionably a, a very difficult situation for the for the people living in Pakistan right now. And are you seeing that certain communities or groups of people are more affected than others during this crisis? And, and if you are, what is prompting this inequality?
2: You know, this would take a lot of time, but I would really like to shrink this as much as possible. I would. There are a large number of people, majority of the people, they don't even own their own house. They live on somebody's land we have not been able to address the feudal system that the colonials installed in this country so it's so many people without any resources very few with a lot of resources so those disparities are very big those disparities are very big if you are a landless tenant how would you feel if you are a landless tenant and your house gets destroyed and you can only go back if the landlord landowner wants you back and again what what happened even the in the last flood in Again, there is an issue of a kind of slavery. And let us say you are the landlord and I work on your land. And if I need extra money, you are going to give me that extra money. But I cannot leave your land or I cannot leave that village until and unless I pay. But how am I going to pay you back? And at times, you know, there are interests involved too. So it's... a
1: A difficult situation. I mean, we're, we're seeing actually the, the, the decline in Pakistan's currency is pushing up the cost of imports, which are urgently needed at a time when there's crop failures because of flooding and, of course, all the emergency assistance that's needed to be imported as well. And this is applying upward pressure on borrowing costs and debt servicing. And this will further exacerbate inflation, which is already running at a multi decade high in Pakistan of nearly 30%. How are you feeling? And, and how are the people that you're working with and the communities you're supporting? What is the impact of inflation in Pakistan?
2: It's very high. It's
1: unbelievable
2: because if I compare this to the 2010 floods, a lot of people were helping, you know, a lot of local donations were coming into the response. But at this point in time, even people who are not affected by the floods don't have enough to donate because when I compare that in 2010, The amount of donations in kind and cash that were being made through the civil society, through other organizations, was far greater. And this inflation, because, you know, it's it's not, the cost of uh, living has gone very high. People cannot even afford to pay their electricity bills. The gas prices have gone high. So it's it's even the things that uh, you would get free from the grocery shop. Like, you know, nobody would, uh, if, if you wanted a few green chilies, they would not charge you for that. Even they have started charging for that. So it's, 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 un, it's, it's unimaginable. It's unimaginable. It's so difficult. And again, when the crops have failed, we don't have enough vegetable. That That is another, you know, on one side, it is inflation. On the other side, the supply is
1: totally gone. No, certainly the the, the challenges lie at, at both ends of the spectrum. And if we look at the uh, geopolitical level, in order to allay concerns that Pakistan might need to reschedule its Paris Club debt following uh, the devastating floods, as well as ongoing liquidity problems within the Pakistan financial market, the Pakistan finance minister, Ishak Dar, told reporters a couple of days ago that they're definitely considering purchasing oil from Russia. And he said, if India is allowed to buy oil from Russia, then we also have a right to buy oil from Russia. What's the uh, public opinion in Pakistan about purchasing oil from Russia and uh, and perhaps being in bed with Russia at a time when they've uh, illegally invaded another country? There's a saying in
2: Urdu and that is, Ibn Maryam huwa kare, koi mere dard ki dawa kare, kuru. The the translation is, I don't care who is Jesus. All I want is someone to cure my illness. Ibn Maryam means son of Mary. So people in Pakistan are desperate. So a person in the street wants cheaper fuel. Because what has happened is that we have these, uh, what we call rickshaws, in in the rest of South Asia, they are called tuk-tuks. Even those people are not getting any... People have, people have stopped using them as taxis. So, you know, it's, it's, yes, you know, at a certain class, at a certain level, there is this realization. But if we go to the grassroots level, people are so miserable. They don't care where it comes from, where the food comes from, where the grains come from, where the oil comes from.
1: And if we go back to the uh, floods and, and, and we consider 2023, I mean, there was obviously the massive earthquake in 2005 and devastating floods in 2010 and 2012. Um, and then again, obviously, this year, devastating floods, sadly, but predictably, especially with climate change, Pakistan is likely to face more disasters in the future. If you could just improve two things to mitigate the risk of further disasters and, and further uh, incidents, what would be two things that you would like to see the Pakistan? and government do over the coming year?
2: Contingency planning and then ensuring
1: that whatever is planned, it
2: is executed because these floods would come back again. Let us well, God forbid, it should not, but if, it, if as you said, that, you know, with climate change, this will be something that we envisage would happen again and again. So proper planning and how, because, you know, we, we have these very good words, build back better, resilience, but this should Trickle down. Maybe this is time that you know these villages, which are in low-lying areas or which are in are in the riverine areas, should be moved from that place. Uh, you know, I was going through these very old documents from uh, the Mughal time, and in riverine areas, they would build houses on mounds. But after that, you know, what has happened is that you know we have constructing colonies, we have been constructing villages on the river sides, and you know everybody wants a river view.
1: Everybody wants a river view until it starts to flood, don't they, So,
2: so if you go on, uh, you know, even in Multan, they have built this these new colonies in riverine areas. And then again, when there's these colonies are hit, when these villages are hit, we are reconstructing them. So, you know, this, this is something which really needs an affirmative action.
1: And I, and I think your point, Saeed, uh, was, was really, really spot on that contingency planning is something that is always critical when we look to the future and we want to prepare for disaster. So contingency planning and then auditing, making sure that we've got quality plans in place that they're understood by everyone and that the plans are tested um, and and robust so continuously planning and auditing are unquestionably critical components of of all risk management and when we look at pakistan holistically not just the flood say but at the culture the politics the people the security environment what do you see as the greatest opportunities as well as the greatest risks in pakistan today
2: uncertainty is the biggest risk. Law and order situation and lack of planning because you know i don't see any plan that we have how are we going to deal with this issue with this risk because these risks need also some solutions some planning
1: yeah they really do and and of course planning is just such a critical component of um, understanding the environment risk identification and then planning how you're going to mitigate treat avoid or, or manage or reduce the likelihood or the impact of risk And it's such a a critical component of all risk management activities. But Saeed, thank you very much for coming on the International Risk Podcast today and and sharing your thoughts with us.
2: Welcome, welcome. And uh, I hope that, you know, we can actually do something because we have District Risk Disaster Management Authority. What are they
1: doing? Definitely. And I think that that all levels of government from the national disaster management agencies to the district disaster management agencies all have an important role to play in Pakistan and in all countries. And the Pakistan communities have proven themselves to be resilient year and year and year after year of disaster. But definitely, we want to make sure that there is good risk identification, good risk mitigation, crisis preparedness, training and uh, leadership during and when crisis actually materialize.
2: What people call uh, the resilient society is because they have to do it themselves. No one will come. So it's if they don't do it themselves.
1: No, you're, t- you're totally right. That was a really great conversation with Saeed Wajid today. And I really appreciated hearing his thoughts on the risks associated with current flooding in Pakistan. Thanks for subscribing to future downloads which are critical for our success. I'm Dominic Bowen, the host of the International Risk Podcast.
0: You've been listening to the International Risk Podcast, hosted by Dominic Bowen. Please go to wherever you download your podcasts and give this podcast a five-star review. Your positive reviews on this podcast and subscribing to future downloads is critical for our success. If you know someone that has experienced successfully working with risk, has a great story to share and would like to come on the show? Send us an email at contact at the international riskpodcast.com. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for your fix of risk-related stories.